The first Bible reading comes from Genesis chapter 38, verses 20 to 30. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adalamite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Enaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she has, or we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see, if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them took One of them put out his hand, so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, This one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out, and she said, So this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out, and he was given the name Zerah. Okay, friends. Um, Now we've got a pretty strange passage tonight but it's here in the bible it's in god's word what do we make of it i think really really neat prayer (laughs) try to understand this passage what god might be teaching us today and so uh, let me ask you to pray with me that god might teach us what he wants to teach us tonight through this passage let's pray Heavenly Father, we pray for your wisdom that we might understand this passage and why this thing happened in the past between Judah and Tamar. We pray, Lord, that uh, we might know you better through this. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you were God, if you were God, what would you do? I'm thinking, if I were God, I would perhaps make myself clearer. If I were God, I'll make myself obvious. Now, isn't this how many of us would think? If God is true, if God is real, if God is sovereign, if God is in control, why doesn't he make himself clearer? Why does he seem so mysterious in who he is and in his ways? This, I suspect, is what many of us would think. Why doesn't God make himself clearer? Well, you see, the reality is God has been clear. It's just that we don't have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. It's a bit like this clip, which I'll show you now. Now, in this clip, there's this mysterious man. He's playing the violin at this busy train station in Washington, D.C. He plays for 43 minutes. He plays six classical pieces. And and over those 43 minutes, there were 1,097 people who passed him by, passed by. He's busking, and, and God, in his mysterious ways, is a bit like this. So we'll watch this now. 
Okay, well, let me explain that to you. Now, this guy who was playing there, busking, busking for money, playing his violin in the subway, 1,097 people passing by, except one. But what those 1,000 people did not realize, that this man who played the violin is one of the finest classical musicians in the world. His name's Joshua Bell, an internationally acclaimed musician. He was playing some of the, the classic pieces, one of those best pieces written for the violin, music that would have filled the station, but people passed him by. Music that, that are fitting for a concert hall, for a cathedral, people passed him by. And he played on one of the most valuable violins ever made, a violin that would have, in his hands, produced music that would, that would soar, that would laugh, that would cry. And this man, who a thousand people passed by, this man would no, normally earn $115,000 an hour. Over those 43 minutes, he made $32.17. But do you notice in that clip, as all those people were passing by, there was one lady, one lady who stood there, mesmerized by him. She recognized him, recognized who he was, recognized the brilliance of his music. She recognized the mastery and skill of his hands. But she had ears to hear and eyes to see. And in a sense, that's the way it is with God. We often think God is mysterious. We don't know what he's doing in this world. Often it's a bit like that. We just need eyes to see and ears to hear. And so when we look at our passage today, really strange passage, really weird passage, a passage, a story a bit like last week, a story of conspiracy, of deception, but it's here in the Bible, a story that just feels so out of place. You know, we started the story of Joseph, and next week we'll continue the story of Joseph here, right smack bang in the middle. There is this strange story. So what are we to make of this story? Is God doing something? Is God working in some mysterious way in this story? Well, that's what we'll be looking at. So as we consider this story, we'll work through quite quickly this story. We're introduced to Judah. Now, Judah was the fourth son of Jacob, fourth oldest son. Now, he is, in fact, the heir apparent. Because the first three sons, they've stuffed up. Reuben, the oldest son, he slept with his father's concubine. No good. The next two sons, Levi and Simeon, well, they massacred a city. They killed all the men in the city in revenge uh, of a sister. And so he's next in line, the fourth son. And so we're expecting great things from this son. So what happens? Well, in this story, Judah goes off from his family. He goes to the land of Canaan and he marries a Canaanite. And they have three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. Now, Judah, what does he do then? Well, back in those days, they have arranged marriages, so he arranges for Ur to marry Tamar. Now, we're not given the reason why, but we're told here that Ur, he erred. He did something wicked in God's eyes. And so God killed him. God put him to death. And then the story moves on quite quickly. And it's interesting to note here that the firstborn male, the firstborn son dies. But Judah, no sadness at all. Not upset by it. There's no, you know, the usual tearing of the robes, putting on sackcloth, sitting on ashes. None of that. His first son just died. Well, what did he say instead? Look at verse 8 with me. He says to Onan, his second son, 
He says to him, Lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. Now that's strange, isn't it? That's just weird. Really weird. I mean, just imagine that. If you're an older brother or a wife of someone, you just can't even imagine it. That's ridiculous. But that's what's happening here. So, so what are we to make of it? Well, we really need to understand this from their perspective, in their context. You see, what, what happens was when Judah one day dies, his estate, his inheritance will be divided between his sons, his three sons. But Ur being the oldest son would get a double share. So Ur would get 50%, Onan would get 25%, and Shelah, the last son, who would get 25%. And so with Ur dead, without an heir, it meant that the inheritance would be divided between the two younger sons. And so this law, this, this rule here, was to safeguard uh, the older son for, uh, that he might get his inheritance as well through this son that will be born by his younger brother. Does that make sense? Okay. Sounds pretty strange, doesn't it? Very strange. But in, in fact, if you look throughout history, it, it has happened. It does happen. Now, you might be aware of this. In the 16th century in England, something like that happened. King Henry VIII, his first wife, Catherine of Aragon, was the widow of his older brother, Arthur. They were married already. But he died pretty young. And so eight or nine years later, King Henry VIII married Catherine of Aragon. But their reasons was not because of inheritance, but it does happen. Brother marrying the brother's widow. And so what happens here in this situation? So Ur's dead, and this is the request of Onan. Marry your brother's widow and have a son for him. So what did he do? Well, he marries her. He marries her, but something strange happens here. He resisted from giving her an offspring, resisted from giving her an heir. Now, why would he do that? The inheritance, you see. If he gave his older brother an heir, then that's 50% of his father's inheritance gone. And so he didn't do that, and that was evil in the eyes of God. And so he too was put to death. So Ur, Onan, two sons dead, and one left. And again, it's quite strange here. Judah does not show any sadness. No tearing of his robes, no sitting on, on ashes. But now he's got one son left, his youngest. And he goes to Tamar in verse 11. He says to her, Now live as a widow in your father's house until my son Shalak grows up. Now we know from, from this story that Judah had no intention of giving his youngest son to Tamar because he, he, he didn't want to lose his youngest son as well. So what happened? Well, this is when things get interesting. Now these are the, the stuff in this story are the things that, you know, those, uh, I don't watch them, but those bold and the beautiful, those, those type of movies are made of, this type of stuff. And, and it gets stranger. So what happens? After many years, seeing that Judah did not keep his promise, Tamar schemed up something. She took off her widow's clothing. She dressed as, an, as a prostitute. She waited on the road at the entrance, entrance, and lo and behold, Judah approaches her. Judah approaches her, and shamelessly, boldly, he says, I want to sleep with you. He says, well, what will you give me? 
he says, well, a goat. Now, I'm not sure if Tamar's meant to be impressed by that or offended by, by that gift or that, that price. But obviously, he didn't have a goat with him. And so Tamar then asked him, well, give me a pledge. And so she ended up getting his seal, his cord, and also his staff. Now, these three items were things that were personalized. They identified who the owner was. It's a bit like Tamar getting Judah's wallet, getting his license, getting his credit card. And so that's what happens here. So what happened? Well, this heir apparent, without, without much thinking, he, he sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. She leaves. She takes off her, her um, prostitute clothing. She puts on her widow's clothing once again. Happens quite quickly. This story progresses. Now, Judah, he wants to get his pledges back. So he sends his friend with the goat to find Tamar. Nowhere to be found. Couldn't find her. Now, do you see the irony in this? You see, Judah here was deceived, deceived by Tamar. And in this story, a goat is involved in this deception. We saw over the last two weeks already with uh, uh, Jacob deceiving his father with goatskin. And last week, Judah and his brothers deceiving Jacob with, with the blood of a goat. And here, a goat is involved in this deception as well. So what's going through Judah's mind? Well, she's nowhere to be found. She's got his wallet, got his credit card, and he's hoping, well, Let's hope this problem just goes away. Hopefully it'll go away. She won't appear. Otherwise, I'll become a laughingstock. But then three months later, first trimester, the bulge is showing, and Judah's notified, your daughter-in-law has acted as a prostitute. And Judah, well, in, in righteousness, he said, well, have her burnt. Have her burnt. Then what happens? Well, the climax now, verse 25. Uh, Tamar comes to Judah, and this is what she says. She says, I am pregnant by the man who owns these. See if you recognize who, who seal and court and staff these are. And obviously, Judah, seeing that, recognized that he was deceived, and he slept with his daughter-in-law. And he says, he confesses, he admits in verse 26, she is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her my son, Shala. And then the story ends. They, in fact, have twins, Zerah and Perez. And so that's briefly our story today. That's our story. It's a strange story. There's wickedness, there's deception, there's this really strange family dynamics. So what are we to make of it? Is God involved in this story? Is God doing something mysterious in this story? How are we to understand a strange story like this in the Bible? What do we do? We see how we go about understanding this passage, but not only this passage, all passage of the Bible, is we have to see in light of the whole Bible. Now, this is what we call in theological language, what we call biblical theology, seeing the whole Bible as one big story, one story of God's salvation plan. One story of God slowly progressing, uh, revealing, unraveling his salvation plan. How he will go about saving rebels and bringing them to heaven. So that's biblical theology. Seeing the Bible as one big story. God going about to save humankind. 
Now, how does this story fit in? Now, we need to understand that so that we can understand this story. How does this story fit in? We see in this story, there are clues. It gives us clues on what God is doing. Now, there's a big theme that runs throughout this one chapter. Big theme. I'm not sure if you've noticed that. You probably have. The theme that runs throughout this passage is a theme of offspring, of descendants. The chapter started with Judah having his own offspring, his three sons. And then the story moved on with Onan not wanting an offspring for his brother. But then Tamar wanted an offspring. And then Judah not giving his third son to Tamar so that they won't have an offspring. But then yet in the end, they end up with offspring, with twins, Zerah and Perez. Now, when we see that theme throughout this one chapter, the theme of offspring, the theme of descendants, that's meant to bring to mind, to our mind, God's promises in Genesis 12. It's meant to bring to mind God's promises to Abraham. Remember those? God promised that Abraham would be made into a, a, a great man. His name will be great. He'll be a man of many nations. He'll have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashore. Remember that? That was God's promise. And that's part of the big plan of God, God's salvation plan. So how does this story fit in? Well, when we look at this story, it looks like Judah and Onan, they were trying to stuff up God's plan. They didn't want to have, have these children, didn't want to have these, have these offspring. Only Tamar did. But you see in this story, though it seems so messy, Judah doing his things, Onan doing his things, and eventually somehow they, them having children, well, you see, that's God working mysteriously, bringing about these offspring, fulfilling his promises to Abraham. This is God working. We don't see it when we just read it aloud, but God working to fulfill his promises to Abraham. And this is what we should be expecting of God, isn't it? That God's ways are mysterious. I mean, his mind's far greater than ours. His ways are far greater than ours. And this is what we read in Isaiah. In Isaiah 55, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, this is what we are to expect of God. We can't always see the way he works. Seems mysterious to us. But here, here in this story, that's not all. God, in a sense, worked to fulfill his promises of offspring to Abraham, but it doesn't end there. You see, if we have the big picture of the Bible in perspective, and we look forward from this story onwards to see who the descendants of Judah and Tamar are, when we work our way through, we finally find that one of the descendants is King David. And you go further, you go to the first page of the New Testament. You look at the genealogy of Jesus. And what do you see? You see Judah and Tamar. See, this story is here because it's telling us who the ancestors of the Lord Jesus is. Now, this is beyond the, the imagination of Judah and Tamar that, that their offspring, that their mistake that their wickedness would bear offspring that will be the parents of kings. King David, that will be the parent, the ancestor of the Lord Jesus himself. Beyond their wildest imagination. But yet that is God working in this passage. 
bring that about, seeing the big picture, where it's heading, how God will bring about his salvation plan. And you see, it's a, it was a mystery to them. They had no idea that this was what God was doing. They were just doing their thing. Had no idea what God was doing, what God was planning, what God was purposing. But now, this mystery has been revealed to us. No longer a secret. And we see this in Ephesians. Paul recognized this. He says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. You see, we need to understand this story in light of the whole Bible, God's big salvation plan. Now, some of you may know I'm about, um, I am 33 years old. Now, I hope and I, I do hope that God might grant me a long life, long enough life so that I might see my kids grow up, might see them um, wanting to date, and old enough so that I can still approve of who they can date, so I can see who they marry, uh, perhaps old enough so I can still see my grandkids. My hope is that I'll live a long life with Yvonne and that we'll die together so that none of us will be lonely. So that's my hope. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. You see, my life before me is still a mystery to me. It remains a mystery to me. I have no idea what will happen even next week. It's all in the mind of God, all in God's eyes. He sees it all, but I don't. It remains a mystery to me. But one thing I want us to see today is our life, all our lives will be a mystery before us. But there is this one mystery that was a mystery to those in the Old Testament, but it no longer remains a mystery. And that is how God will save this world. And that is through those descendants, through the son, one of the twins, through Perez, Judah and Tamar, Perez, all the way to David and then all the way to Jesus. That is how God saves this world, saves those who believe. And so though our life might still be a mystery before us, there is this that we now know. No longer a mystery. How good is that? And we know this because Jesus has stepped foot into this world. Jesus has come into, onto the world stage. But Jesus came not like Joshua Bell playing the violin at the subway, in the subway. Jesus wasn't busking. Instead, Jesus came to this world and died on the cross. He was murdered by the people he created. Not busking, but dying for our sake. Many passed Joshua about that day. A thousand people passed him by, didn't recognize who he, who he was. Well, Jesus coming to this world, dying on that cross 2,000 years ago, thousands, millions, in fact, read of him, heard of him, but passed him by. Millions passed him by, dismissed him, just a carpenter, just that preacher from Nazareth. Just that peasant, they dismiss him. They pass him by like the thousand who passed by Joshua Bell. But you see, the mystery is no longer a mystery to us because God's plan to save the world is through this Jesus, through his own son. And we can only be saved if we believe in him. And so here's my plea tonight to all of us. My plea is that none of us be like that thousand people who passed by Joshua Bell. 
My plea is that none of us be like the millions of people who would just dismiss Jesus, not see with our eyes, not hear with our ears, and just dismiss him as a peasant, as that carpenter. But my plea is that we be like that lady. Remember that lady standing there, mesmerized by the, the brilliance, the skill of this musician. For us to be mesmerized as we consider Jesus on the cross, dying not for himself, this innocent man, this son of God, but dying for us, that we might have eternal life. Want us all to not be like those passers-by, be mesmerized, knowing that Jesus died for us. And so if this is not you, well, let me encourage you to consider Jesus. But if this is you, if you do see already with your eyes, if you already hear with your ears, that Jesus is the Son of God and he is the one you believe. Well, this mystery we cannot keep to ourselves. We cannot keep this secret to ourselves, but we must proclaim to all those around us. Let's pray.